Good day, mates. It's time for us to put on our tiniest pair of cargo shorts and widest brimmed cowboy hats and take on the vast, never-ending expanse of the Australian outback on this week's episode of Gem Girls, the podcast where we take a squiz at the steamiest mounds of dingo doo-doo of the 80s cartoon multiverse. What is a squiz? Can we take a pause there? Take a look at or something. I looked up Australian slang. Okay, I don't know. okay. I missed the squiz quiz, obviously. <laughs> I may have completely misused it, but that's also kind of the point. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, we take a squiz usually at the steamiest mounds of dingo doo-doo of the 80s cult- cartoon multiverse, as I've said. Usually with a focus on the stankiest of them all, jamming the holograms. I'm Hakuna Matitis. And I am Orifice Jones, and this week we are risking exposure to the elements, heat stroke, and possibly getting kicked in the face by a troop of kangaroos as we take a jaunt down under to the land. <laughs> <laughs> I can't not say it like that. Uh, we take a jaunt down under to the land of Bogans and Sheilas, otherwise known as Straya, otherwise known as Hot Canada. I didn't understand any of that until Hot Canada. <laughs> Australia is like Australia. Oh, gotcha. Ooh, I love it to breathe. Anyways, <laughs> the purpose of our voyage. This week, we are discussing the classic 1994 film, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. The movie about two drag performers and a transgender woman who travel across the desert to perform their unique style of cabaret. The movie... A.K.A. Drag. A.K.A. Drag. A.K.A. I got thoughts on that later. Uh, <laughs> the movie was written and directed by Stefan Elliott. I'm going to assume that Stefan, not one of those weird Stevens. And yeah, Stefan. Stefan Elliott and stars Hugo Weaving as Tick slash Mitzi, Guy Pierce as Adam slash Felicia, and Taryn Stamp as Bernadette, the baddest bitch of them all. All those actors whom are straight, which may or may not be important to add. I personally think very important to add, but again, we'll get into later. Yes. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, has continued to have an enduring cult classic status in the decades since its initial release. In 2006, it was adapted into a musical that had its debut in Sydney in October of that year. It also had its Broadway debut in 2011 and continued to tour until 2019. In 2015, ABC released the amazingly titled TV documentary, Between a Frock and a Hard Place, that goes into the film's social context and why it was so popular in both Australia and abroad. Most recently, Priscilla has been referenced by drag queens on RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under in at least two runway moments. And I got to tell you, I know nothing about Australia, so everything I know is from that Yeah, same, same, same. (laughs) Those are also maybe the only two good moments in all of Drag Race Down Under thus far. I I know, right? I said it. Yeah, um, so this is kind of where we got the idea to watch this movie for this week. Apparently, everyone has known about this movie this whole time except for me. 
even my mom had seen it. Have uh, you seen it? Have you heard I, of it? I had heard of it, but only like whispers in the gay hive mind. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Like I had never actually sat down and watched it. I've heard just heard of references. Um, yeah. I can almost without a doubt say my mom has not seen this movie. Uh, <laughs> it is not her wheelhouse. That being said, though, I was very impressed with my mother in knowing who RuPaul was when my sister didn't. And this is before Drag Race became super huge. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, she was like, and I guess Rue was like big in the 90s, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, uh, Rue was, for sure. Uh, Anyways, because this movie isn't terrible, and actually has some cultural significance, we will be taking a mild break from our usual (laughs) aggressive hate-watching and trash-talking, and actually attempt a constructive and insightful dialogue. Keyword there is attempt Cause we gem girls don't get silly, we stay silly, and a little problematic. Yes, for sure. Well, just like this movie. Yeah, fair. Uh, Anyway, without further ado, let's get our fists elbow deep into this movie. Wonderful, and I would like to start, as we often do, with the credits. Uh, I want to give a (laughs) shout out to Sue Blaney, film editor, and Sue Siri, (laughs) production manager. Those are just two fun names. Uh, Sue Blahey? Sue Blaney, film editor, and Sue Siri, production manager. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of Sue, actually. Yeah, exactly. Sue. <laughs> exactly. Sue me, you know what I mean? <laughs> that would be my tagline. If I was Sue and I was a real estate agent. Yeah, yeah, Sue yeah. Me. Yeah, fair. But maybe not the best for getting clients, because then you're... <laughs> Prompting them to take legal action against you. Uh, a well-known realtor in the GTA, I know for some reason, has their tagline, sell the suit. <laughs> the S is being dollar signs. The S is being dollar signs. Of course. Of course. <laughs> just to make that clear. Well, here's the thing. It's an entire TV ad. Like, picture this. Someone that's like, she just won't stop selling houses. How dare she, like, blaze her way through the housing market and then sue crosses her arms and then like does the hands up thing and it's like sue me fucking sue me bitch (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like it actually it's more of like a gangster realtor side i like that yeah exactly it's a story it's not a side it's a story maybe a tableau (laughs) yeah okay okay a dramatic uh interpretive dance (laughs) we really gotta interpret some things you know what i mean For sure, for sure, for sure. Um, Anyway, so are you done with talking about the credits? Uh, Allegedly, but go on. So we open to the performance um, at a bar. We have Tick dressed up in some getup, performing for an audience that doesn't really look too into it. Yeah, no, Um, I mean, um, they're playing pool, which I was a little bit like, when have I, I have never seen pool played at a gay bar, but it could happen maybe in Australia. No. Um, and they're singing the song. I, I don't, I didn't do my homework here. I don't know what the song is. Uh, I don't remember either. The rest of the songs are pretty recognizable and like gay iconic. Yeah. This one, she's kind of like talking about being a woman. Um, anyway, uh, someone throws a can at her head, knocking her over. Um, and then it gets like super aggressive. The other queen there, Felicia, kind of defends her and calls them a bunch of like dingo doers or whatever insult they use in Australia. Right. And one guy yells, show us your pink bits, which is pretty gross. Yeah. This whole scene 
I mean, it's pretty dark, and I think it's supposed to establish, you know, the rut that Tick slash Mitzi is kind of in in their life. Yeah. Uh, and to fast forward basically to the end of the movie, I mean, there are very, there's a very clear parallel between the start of the movie and the end of the movie, because the end of the movie is they're basically what seems to be at the exact same bar, but everyone loves them, and, you know, it's a bunch of, yes. you know, fanfare. The thing is, I didn't really understand why everyone loves them at the end, Outside of, you know, personal growth and c- overcoming their fears and claiming their identity and crap like that. But it, it's the same bar, with the, probably the same crowd. Nothing really changed. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a really good point and something that I definitely thought about as well. Um, I thought, you know, because they made a point at one, at one juncture that... Ooh, good, good, uh, the, good way of saying at one point, not double point in the same sentence. <laughs> well done, well done. Me. Ah! Some calling me out there. Um, where Bernadette says that the wall of suburbia isn't there to keep us from going into the country or from get the bogans coming into the city and that basically the city protects them. So it's kind of odd that at the beginning, the city seems quite hostile towards them. Yeah, And yeah. there isn't that distinct uh, difference between the two experiences of being a drag queen. In the two places. Yeah, well, I think that it only the, the, the distinction only comes, I think, at the end. Because, yeah, this opening scene and all of their other kind of drag experiences are very similar. Uh, if not, I mean, it's, it's less bad in the rural areas to a degree. They're either bored or violent, I guess. Which, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, it probably would take a moment to explain the characters. So we got Hugo Weaving. That's the actor's name, right? Mm-hmm. He plays Tick slash Mitzi. Tick, as we learn in this opening scene, is a longtime drag performer, kind of in a bit of a midlife crisis slash rut. And they uh, get a call from who we find out is technically their wife uh, Mm -hmm. to perform at a resort for a couple weeks uh, in kind of a a remote area in the desert. Uh, Yes, Alice Springs, I think. Yeah, 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 something like that. Uh, Tick takes up the offer, kind of recognizing they got nothing else really going on in their life. Bringing along Guy Pierce, his character, who is Adam slash Felicia, who is so hot in this movie, dude. Yeah, he looks good. Guy Pierce is like... Very convincing, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well acted. Well acted overall. Um, but he's, the dude's wearing a lot of crop tops and is, like, looking <laughs> cut. I was, I was yeah. watching, like, a bootleg stream, and I was like, oh, my God, I want more clearly defined pixelation of his abs. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he looked good, but he was hella annoying. Oh, soup's annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, like, <laughs> kind of the more hateable of the characters. Uh, and rounding out yes. the main trio is Terrence Stamp, who plays Bernadette, a transgender woman who recently lost her husband, although as we learn kind of later on, it ne- they didn't really necessarily have the strongest of relationships, so it may not have been the biggest of losses. Right. She was just, she seemed to just kind of be settling for him because she was into him even in a fetish, fetishizing way. Yeah, as yeah. A transgender woman. Yeah, she has this like line of trans woman as like a bent status symbol. Uh, and I yeah. think that holds water today of... Either, yeah, it's a, it's a fetishization or it's kind of like woke credibility of like a straight dude dating a trans woman. It's like, yo, I might be a straight white dude, but my trans girlfriend kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Interesting. Um, so throughout this beginning sequence, when um, Tick is getting the call, 
we get this really quick cut to a scene of him in really extravagant drag, dressed like a huge chandelier in the halls of a hospital, um, picking up the call from his wife. The scene kind of pops up a couple of times, like this time and also when um, we learn that he has a son, I think. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, I, I found this cut kind of jarring, and I found a lot of cuts in the movie movie a little jarring as well. Yeah, and I kind of enjoyed that. It gave me kind of strong train spotting vibes. I've honestly never completed train spotting. I have only <laughs> seen that movie when on a lot of drugs, so have I ever really seen the movie? I just remember it takes some turns, and it kind of has that, you know, uh, like, yeah, quick cuts to like a random thing and then kind of cutting back. Yeah, it's kind of surreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very surreal. And actually, I enjoy that in the movie. Um, I think it's pretty fair to kind of make some parallels. And we can get into more of that later to this movie and Tu Wong Fu. Um, yes. But I yes, feel like 100%. this movie is just made differently. And that cinem- like cinematic like kind of choice and that style, it's a little bit more... It's a little bit more cerebral and it's a little bit more like surreal, like you said... And it kind of makes it more engaging to watch, whereas Tu Wong Fu is a much more high camp and very much kind of like a, a stereotypical American narrative. Uh, I just, yeah, it's I, yeah. a feel-good movie. Exactly, exactly. This, I thought it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a better put-together film. Yeah, and like Tu Wong Fu came out the year after and was essentially a blatant ripoff of, of this movie. No, so I don't think it was because I, I read this on the interwebs as I was doing a little bit of background research on this. While they were making this movie, the filmmakers came across, they read the script to Tu Wong Fu and they were worried of like, oh shit, this movie's going to come out at the same time that ours is. Uh, so it seemed to have been independently, you know, kind of created. Uh, but Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they were like, oh, this is a very different movie. We're not worried anymore. Yeah, I feel like Tu Wong Fu didn't deal with homophobia almost at all. Maybe in the subtlest of ways. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, it did. It dealt with homophobia. Like, it dealt with, similar to this movie of how rule-less, like, city folk are accustomed to, you know, gay culture. I don't think it necessarily dealt with it in a more in a nuanced way like this movie did because they were almost always in drag in Tu Wong Fu, uh, and there was yes. like you know they they passed as women for a little bit and that was kind of like the joke. Yeah, yeah. So they, they yeah I I agree they like they dealt I, I I actually I should say they disagree because they I think they dealt with it in Tu Wong Fu but in the less you know nuanced actual coming to any kind of uh, like cultural analysis kind of way. Yeah, for sure. Um, so anyway, let's return to what happens in this movie. So like you said, Bernadette has, Bernadette's husband dies, um, apparently from the, in, while he was in the bathroom and he asphyxiated on peroxide fumes from his hair bleach. Yeah. Yeah. And the death scene, (laughs) um, like right before they make that reveal, I immediately thought it was an AIDS funeral. I was like, oh, okay. This is like 1994. This was, like, you know, uh, anti... Anti-retroviral. Anti-retroviral, there you go. Uh, drug treatments really only came, I think, semi-widely available in, like, 92. So mm-hmm. people were still dying of AIDS in 94. Uh, and, yeah, I immediately thought it was an AIDS funeral. And AIDS does come up in this movie, but it's almost kind of like a shadow character. They never explicitly deal with it or talk about it, really. 
Yeah, no, they really don't. It's more of just a way to demonstrate how AIDS has become a stand-in for discrimination against the gay community or used as a leverage or used to amplify it. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, at one point they get uh, on the bus, which we'll explain in a second, uh, like, you know, it says, like, like, people spray paint AIDS fuckers go home on it. Uh, And in a way I was a little bit like, oh, like, why didn't they kind of, like, you know, discuss HIV AIDS in a more uh, explicit manner? But then I was like, oh, this is, I think, a little bit more true to kind of the gay experience Particularly out, like, on the edges out of the AIDS epidemic, where you probably, like, didn't want to think about or talk about it all the time. Yeah. And, but the cultural consensus was gay equals AIDS still. Yeah. And I think, I think in a lot of ways, like, maybe there just wasn't the space to discuss it. And I think this movie wanted to show almost a generational divide between Felicia and the other two. Because Felicia seems to grow up in an environment that's more accepting and where, like, being gay is... Like, her her mom accepts her for who she is, and I don't think the other two had that experience. And it seems to, like, be getting to a point where she can be more open about it, whereas the other two seem like they've had more trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, like, you for sure get the idea that, like, Mitz kind of was a little bit more... He has issues with his gay identity, and, it will, and we see that, and it's revealed that he has a son, and he's very stressed out about revealing that part of himself. And Bernadette, yes. being a transgender woman, obviously is dealing with a lot, a lot more barriers than you know a gay man would. So I agree, and there also is a lot of kind of old gays versus young gays in a lot of the movie in terms of how they approach things, yes. which I actually quite enjoyed. Yeah, like how Felicia was just so gung ho about. One, just being an asshole in general, like calling Bernadette by her dead name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of treating everything as a joke, like dressing up in drag and going out to like a random hoot nanny in the outback. And you know what I mean? Like thinking she could get away with that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like someone who's not necessarily fine. experienced that level of um, uh, discrimination. Because like they're like, oh yeah, I'll be fine. I do this, like I pull shit like this all the time and I never... I always get away with it. It also seemed like yeah. uh, Felicia came from like a upper crust family. Rich. Yeah, rich family. Yes. Yeah, because um, this RV in question, which they decide to name Priscilla, um, is uh, something that Felicia buys for $10,000 and gets the money from her mother. Okay. Um, which is, okay, there's something odd here for me because she basically says like she gets the money from her mom because she tells her mom that she's going to the outback to become more masculine and fall in love with a country girl. But then later on in the movie, we see that the mom is actually quite supportive. So I'm a little bit confused. Yeah. I, I personally didn't really like kind of clock either of those. I I actually thought the mom was kind of supportive. There's like a very small vignette where uh, Felicia's kind of gathering the things that they want to wear on to the bus trip, and the mom is, like, kind of fussing over them. Uh, and it yeah. seemed like the mom was, like, down to, like, you know, watch her boy in drag, you know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, Felicia later on mentions that her mom uh, helped pick out a couple of the outfits that she thought was totally hit- were totally hideous. Right, 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 right. Um, anyway, so they get, they get this bus. They call it Priscilla. Uh, and there's, like, a funny departure scene where... You know, the uh, the queer crew 
is leading on this jalopy bus. And then <laughs> we also get this, like, it's like, I think it was called the Phillips Coast to Coast Tour. And I think it was like the brand Phillips sponsoring this woman who's going to run from coast to coast across Australia. And I immediately kind of took it as like, I guess, like straight versus gay culture priorities. But then, <laughs> but then we see this woman ru- like running with, and she's running with like a little like machine type thing. It's like a trolley uh, that she kind of like is running, running with or pulling along. And we see her pop up throughout the movie, kind of like on the same trail they're on. And I just wondered, of like, what was, you know, the point of that, you know? Yeah, you, yeah, I really don't know. And I honestly didn't even notice that woman at the beginning. I just saw her when she was running in circles around them at the end, kind of. And I was very confused. Yeah, yeah and, she, and she pops up at various instances. Because I clocked it at the beginning. I was looking out for her through the entire thing. And, like, yeah, every once in a while, like, at night she'll be running by when they're, like, I think the bus breaks down at some point. Uh, and yeah, I, I really don't know. Uh, she's one of like two cis female characters in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. and we'll get to the sexism later. Oh yeah. There is a lot of it. Um, oh, actually, but before, anyway. no, before we get to the sexism part, uh, in mentioning cis women and cis people in general, I do want to discuss Bernadette is played by a heterosexual male, a cis white man. Yes. And... Yes. You know, I got, I started thinking about this and philosophically, I am totally fine with that because acting is becoming a different person and your level of skill as an actor shouldn't be tied to your gender or gender identity. Like a, mm-hmm. a woman should be able to play a male character or a trans male character or a trans female character, whatever. It should be born out of your skills as an actor and being able to, you know, embody their attributes. That being yes. said... On a practical level, I don't agree with it because there are so few roles in feature films that feature, double feature, (laughs) trans characters in general. And the fact that those roles are often given to cis actors creates, you know, far fewer opportunities for any trans actor. Not to say that a trans actor needs to play a trans character, but, you know, cis roles are already default for cis people. So that's, that's kind of yes. the way I'm thinking about it. You know what I mean? No, and for sure, I, I agree with you. I think, I think it's interesting that they were, they were seemingly gung-ho about casting cisgender, white, straight males for these roles. Um, and I, I did watch a little bit of the documentary Between a Frock and a Hard Place yesterday. And they're like talking about wanting all these high profile actors and only giving out um, scripts to them. And it seems like they wanted to have some sort of uh, international mass media success. Like that was their main concern, not making a movie that's authentic to the gay or trans experience. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, In that way. And a weird thing, I mean, this was a line off of Wikipedia, but because the, FCC or the like, whatever Australia's um, kind of like uh, arts council, like Canada, Canada has like an art, not, I don't know if they're called the arts council, but the Canada has like a, uh, an arm's length government body that basically funds creative projects. So we have Canadian culture kind of thing. I'm pretty sure they have yeah. the same thing in Australia. And this was partly funded by that. And I was confused because the Wikipedia line said because of this agency's involvement, they could only hire one Australian actor 
And I was like, what? How does that make any sense? <laughs> Maybe the person who wrote it was wrong or just like miswrote it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think Guy Pierce was the only Australian actor. Yeah. I, yeah, the other two were from the UK. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so bizarre. Um, I do think it would have been better to have actual queer people playing these roles. As well as I think the, their performance, as good as their performances were, I like it, it just seemed like an odd choice to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Uh, I also think it would have made them inherently better drag queens because, like, look. They were they were fantastic actors. They were terrible drag queens. Oh, especially Bernadette. Bernadette, Bernadette served was no face. Zero face, girl. There was no face going on. <laughs> Bitch was a blank slate. Like deadest eyes, no rhythm. Zero. And she was supposed to be like the queen of the queens. Yeah, yeah. It was and there were like multiple drag numbers. And I guess if you're, you know, a straight white woman watching this in the theater, you'd be like, Oh my god, they're so extravagant, but like, you know, a couple of um uh old horses in the in the drag race would be like, yo, <laughs> these bitches ain't giving me nothing. Yeah, no. I mean, their costumes were everything. The costumes were great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. There was, like, at one point, they're kind of, uh, like, fire lizards towards the end, like, one of the final numbers. So good. Great. And great. they're, like, moving, wiggling their tongues. Yeah. Their tongues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The and then they do, like, a Sydney Opera House kind of finale with their outfits. That was cool. Uh, 100%. The emu look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the car, the silver... Uh, on top of the car look that was, you know, done on Drag Race. Also amazing. Yes. Uh, uh, the flip-flop look. Flip-flop look I liked because it's, like, kitschy. Did I think it was good? No. I thought it was good. I liked it. I did like it. I did like it. But yeah, I feel like their personas, their light really shone bright when it when their costumes were on. Or be, only because of their costumes, really. Like, the costumes did all the work for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually think that's one of the main differences. Well, I mean, not one of the main. It, there are many differences between the two movies. But one of the things between Tu Wong and this movie, like, Tu Wong, they were great queens. Uh, Wesley Snipes yeah. was amazing. What is it, Patrick Swayze? Yeah, Dude, they were both so great. They were so and John Leguizamo. Yeah. They were amazing. <laughs> they were. But you can't get it all. And honestly, watching Drag Race Down Under the season, I just don't think lip syncing and performing well is something that Australians <laughs> are good at. Yo, I mean, look, there's evidence. There's evidence to, to support your theory. Yeah, for sure. Um, so they're on this bus, the Priscilla. The Priscilla. And we see them, like, living their lives. Uh, they have liquor in their first aid kit. Yeah, and that's... They're singing as... This bus's bar is lit, by the way. They have a great yeah, bar set up. They really know their prior... They have their priorities straight. Uh, the license um, plate is also FGY668. <laughs> so I, I took it as, like, faggy. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, they were also singing a song for fat trannies working on the wall and, like, Basically other problematic little chants. Yeah, yeah. To which, kill the time. Yeah, I didn't know if that was an Australia thing or what. Well, yeah, it could be an Australia thing. It could be an Australia in 1994 thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Because um, I do think there are, and again, I, I read this uh, as I was doing some research, 
I think as North American viewers, we definitely interpret things differently than an Australian audience would. And um, <laughs> the director, he was doing it, he did an interview and was quoted of like, yeah, like um, American audiences laughed at very different things at screenings than Australian audiences did. And obviously you wouldn't pick up on some of the cultural references. So I, don't have, I have no idea if this was, you know, a song that people sang in Australia in the 90s. I have no idea. Right. I mean, it very well could have been, and that is terrifying. I agree. I agree. Um, and as they're on this uh, bus ride, there's like a series of kind of like vignettes and kind of things. Uh, but there's a lot of tension, as we mentioned earlier, between uh, Adam slash Felicia and Bernadette. I'm team Bernadette all the way. I think Bernadette is a bad bitch in the, in the best way. Um, yes. But she has this great line early on because Adam slash Felicia is basically making or him and maybe ticker talking and they're basically like every other every other sentence or every other word is kind of like a sexual innuendo or talking about sex to some degree. And yeah, she, or talking shit about other people. Yeah, yeah. And she kind of like calls them out, basically saying like young gays like only talk about sex and have like no actual conversation. And no joke, dude, I have been you know, at parties with, like, you know, a bunch of random gay people, and we don't necessarily know each other. It's, like, one of those parties where the one person invites, like, all of their friends, and, like, a bunch of disparate groups kind of intermingle. And yeah. it, it happens where every other word or every other sentence is, like, an innuendo or, like, a, like a, a sex joke or something. And I, I, like, very often I've kind of sat there of, like, we can just talk like regular people. Like, we don't need to make everything about the one common thing we have, which is having sex with men. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I also like how she made fun of ABBA. Oh, me too. Me too. I think she has, she has a line Bitch of, like... hates ABBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, can we fucking relax with all the ABBA? And this movie is ABBA-filled. <laughs> Um, and in response, Felicia dead names Bernadette for the first time, right, calls right, her right. Ralph, um, basically being a massive brat. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Here was another scene. So when Felicia is driving, she stops the bus and is like, shit. And they walk out of the bus and they just see the sun dude and yeah i was outback. yeah i was like what was that scene because that's what i thought because i read the synopsis for the movie like at one point the bus is gonna break down and i was like oh this is the yeah. moment but then yeah they get out of the bus it seemed like it broke down or something they look at the sunset and then they're back on the bus like a second later yeah, was that just an editing mistake, or were they just, like, overwhelmed by the great expanse of the Australian outback? I don't fucking know. I didn't get it. I thought it was useless, <laughs> and I really questioned why right. I was in the movie. Yeah, it should have been It should have been edited out. Yes, yes. I mean, that uh, that's Sue Blaney right there. Sue Blaney fucked up. <laughs> Sue Blaney? <laughs> gonna put the blamey on yeah, Sue Blaney. Yeah, ooh! I was gonna put it was a board scene bungle by Sue Blaney, but I'm, <laughs> I'm blaming Blaney. <laughs> and her response will be sue me <laughs> if Blady pulled that I'd be like brava brava <laughs> touche you're alright in my yeah book. you're alright Sue Blady get out of here <laughs> so along the way like we mentioned there are various kind of vignettes where they kind of uh, interact with various rural populations well the first ones that we get is um, they kind of stop off to I don't get supplies or stay for the night in this random town where as soon as they enter, there's like Bernadette has this face off with this very butch woman. Uh, 
<laughs> which um, kind of ends with Bernadette reading her and everyone gets on their good side and it's all good. And then they kind of have like a shot off because Bernadette also a drinker, like bitch drinks. Uh, yeah. And she knows all the hacks when it comes to drinking. Yeah, I like the scene, like the, the thing where she's like, you know what you do is at the mini bar, you drink all the gin in a little bottle and then fill it up with water afterwards. <laughs> and then they ask, well, what about the whiskey? And then she's like, well, that's what the, uh, the complimentary tea, tea bags are for. So smart. Very smart. But they would know that the, the seal was broken on the bottles. I mean, maybe this was back in the day when there was no seal. There was never, yeah. There <laughs> was, there, seal. was there ever a seal? <laughs> The only seal I know is Kiss from a Rose seal. Yeah, that's baby, exactly. The only seal I care is Lucille Bluth. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, so, yeah, Bernadette is facing off against this woman with giant nipples. Like, giant rock hard. They're like if golf balls were hot glued to her chest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the butchest woman you've ever seen. Uh, yeah, with uh, protruding nips. Yeah, and at one point she, like, slams her hand down, her, like, crusty, like, terrible nail, like, gnarly little nubbins over Bernadette's, like, nicely manicured hand. Um, And Bernadette just, like, peels it off of her. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I also wondered, because, like, they, they have this shot off. They're drinking some sort of clear alcohol. And the thing is, shots take, like, 20 minutes to really kind of kick in yeah because like like, so i was like the mechanics of a shot off you know you're taking these shots we're not going to feel it for another like 20 minutes half an hour yeah well there's also just being able to get it down like if i did that i would throw up after like four yeah but like i mean you're gonna insult me i was going to but i held back uh (laughs) yeah like you're you that's all i gotta say about it Weak shot game, yeah. weak phone weak game. Phone game weak, weak shot game, game weak game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what week are we going to game? Oh, uh, not with weak game, though. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> you make no sense sometimes. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Uh, <laughs> so after um, they they apparently have fun at this bar, everyone seems to be having a good time, and they go back to their uh, their hotel room or motel room, and that's where we'll, we see the next morning they wake up and they have AIDS fuckers go home spray painted on the bus. And Mitz yes. actually has a really, really good line. I'm, I'm slightly paraphrasing it, but they're kind of talking about this, you know, this uh, vulgar set, uh, statement written on their bus. And he says, no matter how tough I get, it still hurts. And that's like very yeah. relatable. And it was, I think yesterday was the, um, the uh, anniversary of the uh, Pulse Orlando shooting. Uh, yeah. And that was like one of those. That was like one of those things that you know you hear about mass shootings all the time. And I remember what that, that day, the day that that happened. And of course, I don't really know anyone in the Orlando gay community like, but and all that kind of stuff. But regardless, it made me feel so shitty that entire day. And it's one of those yeah. things that yeah, no matter how tough and brazen you think you've gotten to the general idea of homophobia or discrimination, when it happens, like it still affects you. For sure. It's an attack. Yeah. And it's, like, meant to dehumanize you in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was, like, one of many, or one of a few, like, pretty real things said throughout the movie, which I appreciated, and what I felt was missing from Too Wong Fu. I agree. I, yeah, I agree. And exactly. Like, I think one of the major distinctions between the two movies, this movie has a little bit more substance to it. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically Felicia calls Bernadette Ralph again and like Bernadette is not taking it. She gives him a fucking smackdown. Um, and then later on the bus, Mitzi is like, why do you keep doing that? Like, what is your fucking problem? <laughs> like, why do you want to, you know, trigger someone like that? And he basically says he likes to see people get hot headed for fun. And then he goes into his childhood backstory, which was an interesting flashback scene to his like creepy ass uncle in a bathtub when he's like a little boy who, and he wants him to like reach into the water and touch him stroke his dick yeah stroke his dick um but instead he pulls out the plug and the uncle's balls get stuck in the drain (laughs) so i actually like this scene not necessarily because it added any form of character like substance or characterization to felicia but when I saw it, I was like, oh, here we go. The classic yeah. young gay boy manhandled by a creepy adult and thus they're damaged. And that led them down this, you know, destructive path. But then, you know, right. they, they, they reversed my expectations. That's not what happened. It ended up being kind of a funny story kind of thing. And he wasn't really abused and kind of uh, took it out on this aggressor that was his uncle. So... I like I yeah I don't really know why the scene was in the movie maybe it was just to do that you know what I mean kind of reverse your expectations. Well yeah and like maybe you would think like oh finally Felicia we're gonna feel sympathy for her right right and like she was a victim and went through something horrible which like you could still say that she did um, but in the end she like wasn't a victim at all yeah yeah and yeah, yeah. like stood up for herself even then she does get victimized later another one of the vignettes uh they basically go into a small town and felicia another gay stereotype does some drugs decides to go about in the town in full drag going up to a bunch of men drinking and then essentially you know gets gangbangs in not in the good way yeah not in a good way at all um so here is where we lose the bus loses power and they're stuck in the middle of the desert for the first time. Um, Mitzi has brought like a truck full of lotion. Yes. Which is somehow relevant. Yeah. She has this side hustle. It's like woman products like W O dash M A N a weird element of the movie. Cause it doesn't really bear anything on the plot. I think it's just to establish that Mitzi has, you know, higher aspirations beyond just being a performer. Like they, they're trying to kind of have a legitimate business. It really doesn't come up. She's doesn't find any success with it by the end of the movie. I kind of questioned why it was part of her character. Yeah. She just keeps like bringing it up in random places. Like here she's rubbing it on the engine or something. Yeah. 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 Later on, she just has it at the dinner table. Uh, yeah, I, d- I don't really understand. Anyways, uh, when the bus breaks down, they uh, enlist the aid of a kindly mechanic who happens to be nearby, a man named Bob. Uh, Bob is great, true gentleman, yeah. good guy, you know, here for the queers, which I'm always here for. Uh, but his wife is this Filipino woman who's, is she ever given a name? I don't even know. Uh, Cynthia. Cynthia, Cynthia. And I think she's Thai because she's ba- she's basically a mail order bride that Bob picked up in a drunken stupor when he's he was in 
Southeast Asia. Yeah, but I know, but I um, read some criticism and it was like the National Filipina or Filipino organization that spoke against it. So I think she's supposed to be from the Philippines. Interesting. I guess because of the ping pong element, um, <laughs> which we'll get to in a second, um, it's. I just thought it was meant to be Thailand. Why but do you associate like, ping pong in Thailand? Um, just because a lot of like skeezy men go to Bangkok to see that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair, 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 fair. Yeah, no, it's not because I think that's all. That's what Thailand has to offer. It's one of the many um, things they have to offer. <laughs> Maybe it's just supposed to be a stereotype of a Southeast Asian type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Cynthia, as we learn, is pretty fucking vulgar, violent, has a bit of a drinking <laughs> problem, uh, and is like overly sexualized because she's been banned from the bar. And so when she when she learns that. The gals are going to do a drag show. She busts through at one point in the skippy lingerie that has a vagina zipper. Uh, <laughs> that she then stubs <laughs> ping pong balls up her vagina and then shoots them out into the crowd. And yeah. the sound effect of them popping out, it was like, oh my God, I didn't enjoy it at all. It was too much. It was and it went so far. So far. So far. Uh, and this is one of the major reasons why this movie comes under criticism for not necessarily being the best about more broader representation, because yes. this is one of maybe three female characters in the entire movie. This is like, I mean, a truly negative stereotype. Like, I think the director tried to kind of like explain why they made this decision, but I remember reading it and be like, that's fucking bullshit. Uh, yeah, there's no reason to have it in there. There's none. It wasn't. It didn't make it funny or better no. in any way. It could have been Bob was in a loveless relationship with some regular old, more housewife type thing. And they could have made it any kind of any reason or any kind of uh, explanation. Uh, because the end result is, you know, this bitch, after being kind of hauled away by Bob, decides to leave him. That gives Bob a leeway to leave with the queens and being their on-the-road mechanic. But, um, yeah, so, because, like, you have Cynthia, the butch woman at the bar who's never really named. And Tick's wife, I mean, she's great. I like her. But she's almost mm -hmm. too perfect, you know what I mean? Yeah, she's pretty one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the movie does come under some heavy criticism for its portrayal of women and them being either, you know, vulgar monstrosities or only serve to accelerate the plot of the male characters. Because the wife, Tick's wife, is basically just there to support him and kind of give him whatever he needs. Yeah, I feel like that's a problem in a lot of drag, at least as it's depicted in, like, mass media. Like, on Ru RuPaul's Drag Race, for instance, it's so common to hear them make jokes about vaginas. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so fishy, and, like, that episode with the yeast spread where they're like, oh, my meat flaps are, like, flapping in the breeze. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, Jesus, yeah. you know nothing about vaginas. Yeah, and that... And, and it's so rude. And broader gay culture, be talking negatively about vaginas, and, like, look, I'm, I'm guilty of it, too, is a thing. Like, people do it, and... People do it thinking it's, like, kind of okay, which it's really not to criticize, not even criticize, but and it's weird to say dehumanize, but to 
vulgarize, objectify, objectify like, a, a, like a female sex organ kind of thing, or the female body more broadly. Uh, it's it's a thing. It's not, it's yeah. a bad part of gay culture. I, I agree. I, I, I agree that you know I know that I'm I partake in that sometimes. Generally for comic effects, so I think it's totally fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's all for com- comedic effects. Yeah, but there's a difference so. between being funny and like telling a joke. You know what I mean? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's just interesting to me how drag culture and maybe gay culture and more broadly kind of glorifies and idolizes women in a lot of ways, but it can be quite objectified. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then like, if you even hear sometimes the way gay men might talk to their straight girlfriends, case in point, this podcast, uh, (laughs) um, they're like, you know, ridicule them and like kind of think it's fine. I do think that's part of the whole Oh, I'm gay. I can be like be mean, and everyone just thinks it's sassy, which like I fucking hate that. It's like no, you're just being mean. It's not. It's only <laughs> sassy if it's funny and they're in on the joke. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Anyways, all gays are awful. All men are awful. We can just leave it at that. <laughs> um, this is where, in my notes, I kind of got to the point where this movie is Tuong Fu plus the Birdcage plus Train Spotting plus Australia. <laughs> Wow. Uh, but then it kind of like got me thinking because Tuong Fu came out, I think, 95. The Birdcage yeah. came out in 96. Uh, the Birdcage, uh, Robin Williams, Felicia Lockhart, some uh, the woman who played Alan McBeal is also in it, and some other high-profile actors. Uh, Tuong Fu, you got Patrick Swayze, you got Wesley Snipes. John Wazama before he kind of became bigger. And that led me down kind of a 90s gay cinema and there are other movies that were, like, high-profile. Like, Kevin Klein was in the movie In and Out. I don't know if you watched that. Uh, no. Queen Latifah was in this movie called uh, Set It Off, which I need to watch. I've never watched it, but she plays a, a lesbian <laughs> bank robber. And I love all Queen Latifah Sick. movies. That sounds amazing. Uh, but... I, yeah, I love Queen Latifah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I queef for Latifah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Wonderful. Sharing the same eyeball. Uh, but it got me thinking of, like, this is the mid-90s, let's say, where these high-profile actors are playing these gay characters in Hollywood movies. And I can't really think of a movie, like, nowadays or more modernly that that's happened. And don't get me wrong, a lot of the time this was, I mean, they're kind of, I don't want to say fetishizing. It's maybe too strong of a word. But they're capitalizing off of the novelty of queer culture. And I think now, oh, and now it's become a little bit more mainstream and like audiences don't care as much kind of thing, which is good. But we're, I just don't, I, have, I don't remember the last Hollywood movie that had a gay character as the lead that wasn't like the gay best friend. Gay character, Hollywood movie. Um, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point. I mean, I guess Call Me By Your Name. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose that was like one movie five years exactly, ago. exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's not that was more. I mean, that's like that movie was like uh, done at like film festival. It wasn't a Hollywood blockbuster type thing or a Hollywood movie, you know? True. Yeah, I would like to see that. Why not? Yeah, because like it, I feel like these movies, like this the ones that I mentioned, were made for like mass broad appeal, uh, and it'd be nice to see a little bit of that nowadays. Like I want to watch something at the Cineplex that has a homo in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
It feels like those movies relied on, heavily on camp to make it okay and marketable. I agree. I agree. Like, I'm not saying these movies, like, didn't have problematic elements and played into camp and very strong gay stereotypes, but... Or, like, tragedy porn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, that's, like, a other end of gay cinema where it'll be, like, fucking, you know, about the AIDS epidemic and it's always about AIDS and it's like, oh, everyone's gonna die at the end. Uh, yeah, like Milk. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Boys Don't Cry. Yeah. Uh, but these were, at least the ones that I mentioned, these were, were comedy movies, again, with, like, high-profile comedic actors. And, yeah, it, I, I just thought it was interesting. Like, this was the 90s, you know what I mean? Like, you think of the 90s as so much, like, far less accepting. And, like you mentioned, they were packaged in a way to make it more palatable to straight audiences because like women would be like oh they're so fun they're you know just like the gays i see on tv and the straight women aren't threatened because everyone is you know uh maybe hyper feminine to a point of being a caricature but right yeah i just think it's strange that you know we're in 2020 or the 2020s i live in a, i live a year in the past uh and we don't yeah I, I like i said i can't remember the last hollywood movie that had a gay character as the main character uh that yeah, wasn't a gay best friend or kind of sidelined or, you know, all that kind of crap. I think um, Moonlight, I mean, again, I'm just shouting out one movie five years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which famously beats, what was the movie? That uh, that other fucking piece? La La, La, La Land. Land. They're going to be star in fucking La La Land. Um, good for them that they won. But also, yeah, that movie. Uh, Moonlight is not a comedy. Oh, absolutely. It has to be a comedy. Well, I'm just saying, like, movies made for mass appeal. Like, Moonlight also is and was more of a... Like, it was an Oscar movie, you know what I mean? It wasn't a, you know, this we're going to put this out. It'll make decent money. It's not going to win any awards. But it'll play on TV for years afterwards. Well, at this point, I feel like massive movies are basically reduced to sequels of movies or reboots of movies from 20 years ago or Marvel movies now. Yeah, that's pretty fucking true. I, <laughs> I guess I'm just waiting for, like, the gay superhero movie, which we still don't have yet. We need that. That's good. Oh, yeah. We really we do. Need we it. do. We do. I don't... I mean, yeah. I, Marvel has a white male, straight white male problem, which I think everyone is already aware of. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I want, you know, I want my homos saving the day. For sure. I would petition. I'll write them a strongly worded letter. Please. And those, like, do a lot. <laughs> I like to believe they do. And you know what? You live in your truth. Thank you. Um, so back to this movie. Um, another person they encounter along the way is this indigenous man who invites them to some sort of music around the fire pit type situation. And these guys are playing the blues. It's super chill. There's a didgeridoo. And then we get a performance by the drag queens of I Will Survive. Also terrible. Um, but like, okay. Yes, but I loved the costumes. Again, like the costumes were always good. It's just the performances were always so weak. Their choreography, dude, it was horrendous. <laughs> there was no chutzpah on any of the moves. You know what I mean? No, there was some kicking. Yeah, but like uh, I didn't like there was some pointing. Yeah, but like I didn't get a I didn't get any any flair to it. It was like, oh, now I'm pointing. <laughs> now I'm doing this with my hands yeah. and I'm gonna walk over here. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't good. But um they dressed the indigenous guy up in 
drag. He's living his fantasy. And the didgeridoo starts accompanying the music, which I thought was really cool, actually. I like that remix. Yeah, it was cool. I was like, I was the reverse of you, did not. You know what I mean? <laughs> didgeridoo, yo, thank you. There you go. There you go. That's the one I was looking for. Didgeridoo, not cross me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Anyways, do you have another one? I didn't. I thought about it for a second. I was like, I'd rather not. <laughs> um, didgeridoo, go on. nice perfect um so we cut back to the bus and bernadette is looking through felicia's fucking chest of stuff and she picks up this tight like this vial situation with a clump in it and some water and she's like what the fuck is this this at all (laughs) and felicia felicia's just like oh i followed some abba bitch into the bathroom and then snuck into the cubicle and she left me a little surprised so i kept it it's my most prized possession yeah 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 uh i also love and like listener this is some uh, behind the scenes knowledge <laughs> but this other bitch on this podcast texted me yesterday to be like hey how many intense notes did you take on every scene that happened and i was like oh i didn't at all like you know i was very lax about it she's like okay great this bitch coming through going scene by scene through this fucking movie we're an hour into this okay. motherfucker, and it's like, wow, okay. I uh, I take it loosey-goosey. Okay, fine. I just wanted to bring that up because it was really gross. We <laughs> could, like, skip ahead to whatever the fuck happens. Yeah, so we meet Bob, who's going to be around. He ditches his uh, whore wife. Oh, okay. You know, I don't want to call her a whore. <laughs> you did, though, <laughs> twice. <laughs> The one who shoots pinballs out of her ping ping pong balls out of her hoo ha. Yeah, yeah, that she does. Um, um, she, yeah, she she's gone. Um, and then they're on a, on their way, heading to Alice Springs to meet Mitzi's wife, who they all now know about, and I think they now know that she has a son as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, yeah, there's the reveal scene. Like Bernadette kind of faints, and then yeah, they kind of talk about how did you not tell us about this? Yada yada yada. Uh, and of course, Mitzi is very, very stressed about it. I never really understood that if the kid was always aware that was their dad or the kid just learned that. You know what I mean? Right? Because the kid seems super into the idea of him being his dad and like seems to know stuff about yeah. it. Yeah. Also, this kid is like so fucking woke, it hurts. Like, relax, kid. Like, you know, like, it's great that you're so accepting about everything, but I was like, I don't think kids are like this. <laughs> He's just really happy to know his dad. His dad just kind of fucked off after he was born. That is true. Seems. That's true. And yeah, so when we get to um, Alice Springs and along the way, Bernadette and Bob are kind of, uh, their, their relationship is blossoming. Their sparks are flying. A flower is blooming. The cake is in the rain. <laughs> uh, and then we, yeah, when we get there, we meet Marianne, who we learn is a lesbian as well. Uh, yes. And... Again, she's, like, super supportive. And she basically tells Mitzi, like, look, I've had this kid for, like, seven or eight years. Time for you to take him. Time for him to learn about his father kind of thing. Which leads to a little bit of a emotional crisis for Mitzi. Yes. Um, Mitzi is not prepared to be a father or doesn't feel like he's prepared to be a father. And at one point, like, when he's meeting the kid for the first time or bringing him onto the bus... He, like, 
isn't wearing his normal clothes. He's dressed in kind of like an Australian outback, like bogan dudes outfit. Yeah, yeah. He butchers um, up for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he seems to think that being feminine isn't congruent with being a father or a good role model. Yes, exactly. exactly. For a young boy. Um, so what happens next? Or what is there that we want to touch on next? Uh, I mean, all I really have written down is that at one point there is a Rock Hudson reference. Rock Hudson being like the first high profile closet homo who died of AIDS. So another little AIDS reference for people. Um, Yes. Very, very subtle AIDS reference. Very subtle. Uh, I'm sure most people would not get it. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, then I, all I really have to say is like that, that the final scene where they go out to some sort of landmark, it seems like, to mm-hmm. have this emotional awakening. Yeah, I, I think it's because Felicia said she wanted to do that on this trip. She wanted to like run up onto some rock in drag. Okay, okay, okay. Because Bernadette countered, oh, great, like a cock and a frock on a rock. Oh, this is a great line. <laughs> Uh, yeah, great. <laughs> uh, apparently, they actually wanted to do that this scene on Ayers Rock slash Ularu, uh, but mm-hmm. an indigenous organization was like, "No, you cannot. That is like very offensive. Please do not do this." Uh, which I, oh, which wow. I think maybe also kind of speaks to the filmmakers' level of um, uh, cultural. Yeah, awareness. exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, I didn't know exactly what to make of their encounter with the indigenous people. In the movie. Yeah, I, like, I thought it was generally okay, but it also, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's the only indigenous people we've seen in the entire movie, and they're kind of put in the same place as the rural hillbilly folk, less hateful, but also like overly jovial. Yeah. Like they were just, they were basically yeah, they just grinning musicians. There was no characterization to them. No, not at all. And it seemed to be making this point almost that like, white cis or white gay males um, have a lot in common with indigenous people. Like maybe they do in, in the sense of being marginalized, but it seemed to gloss over those differences. Yeah. 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 And I mean, yeah, like I kind of said, they really didn't do much outside of play music and smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty, I guess, stereotypical Portrayal. Yeah, like the happy Indian like kind of simple thing. folk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they decide to go back to Sydney. They bring the kid with him. They bond. The kid becomes like a roadie for their show, doing lights and shit. And it ends happily. Bernadette stays with Bob to see how things go. Um, and yeah, the movie ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. Again, as we mentioned, the movie ends on this very, very happy note, which justified all the character growth and all that kind of crap. Why everyone loves them so much when they're in the same shitty drag that they were in previously, I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe they missed them. Yeah, maybe. Maybe in that, like, maybe. two weeks, they uh, had no entertainment. Yeah, true, 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 true. Uh, but, I mean, it, it is a good movie. I, I enjoyed the movie. Obviously, as we discussed, there are some problematic elements, uh, which is true of probably every fucking movie. Uh, but <laughs> well, especially one dealing with like homosexuality in the nineties. Yeah, 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 and also you know uh, you know transgender female 
uh, issues as well. Which I actually do think, despite the fact that it's played by a straight male, uh, some of the stuff, and this is coming from, you know, a gay white man. Do I know the trans experience? No, I do not. But some of the things they brought up and didn't necessarily unpack to a very large degree, but at least they didn't make Bernadette, her whole identity wasn't about being a trans woman, which I thought was, which yeah. I appreciated. I will say, though, that the focus on her being transsexual specifically was kind of weird um, because I feel like representations of trans people um, historically have had a lot of focus on genitalia as being like this site of great significance above every other aspect of being trans. Does that make sense? No, I don't know what your point is. I guess, like, okay, I guess to put it more simply, um, well, one, the use of the word transsexual, I feel like, has gotten out of favor. Oh, of course. But that, I mean, that I accounted to, it was the 90s, that I think transsexual was just a a more of a wide, it wasn't, transgender wasn't a term yet, at least among the greater population. Right. And I guess, like, what I'm trying to say is that, like, the discrep- like the difference between being transgender and transsexual, I feel like was made in language as if it was like more significant or more important that this person got rid of their penis or whatever, um, rather than just like, oh, you know, you're transgender. It doesn't matter what you have between your legs. Oh, kind okay, of okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but maybe that's just me being nitpicky. Uh, you do love to pick your nits. <laughs> But anyway, um, so do we have a baddest bitch and weakest bitch? Of the baddest season? bitch is burned dead, obviously. Yeah, obviously, one hundred percent. Not for those lip syncing. Not skills, for her lip sync. But yeah, for everything else. else. Everything else. She had some great lines. At one point, she legit said to Felicia, "I hate your face," which is such a good <laughs> line. I forget. It, I forget what it is exactly. But I wrote down in my notes. It comes in at about eighteen minutes into the movie. Listener, if you want to just. Go to the, skip ahead to 18 minutes, listen to that line, then shut the movie off. You'll be good. You'll understand why she's the baddest bitch. Um, now, weakest bitch. Uh, weakest uh, bitch. Um, I'm going to go for the guy who initially hit on Felicia and then saw her arms and then, like, got super homophobic and raped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck that guy. I also felt really weird about it because I initially thought the scene was, like, oh, he's being so nice and knows he's a man and is, like, kind of into it. Like, okay, Hillbilly, you're kind of hot. And then it went super homophobic. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're not hot anymore. I hate you. Uh, so he was the weakest. You're correct. Yeah, fuck that guy. I mean, like, I could joke and say Felicia for being annoying or, like... Nah, Felicia had you know, some moments. Felicia random... had some moments. Yeah, she, she was funny. Um, defs, defos, that, that guy. What a loser. Yeah, homophobic hillbilly. We barely knew ye, and that's was too much already. That was too much already. We hate yeah. it. Hate it. Um, so, you, hate Take it. Take out my hate read. Uh... <laughs> So with all of that said and done, we've reached the end of yet another episode of Gem Girls Podcast. Thanks for listening to us talk about something different. Aren't we so smart? Super smart. The thing is, I, I, I question whether, I mean, obviously everyone loves to hear our voices, but people would be like, <laughs> what are they saying? <laughs> yeah, it was probably all gibberish. Yeah, yeah, probably. Anyways. Whatever. Um, if you want to check us out on social meds, you can go to our Instagram or Twitter. 
or check us out at our website, gemgirls.com. And if you want to personalize a greeting to us and let us know how much you adore <laughs> our cerebral conversation surrounding uh, cultural pieces of history, that was an oddly worded <laughs> sentence, you can say hello. You can say, hey, girl, hey, at heygirlhey at gemgirls.com. <laughs> a real email that we actually have. Uh, yeah, please send us why we really want to yeah. say hey girl hey to you on hey girl hey. Exactly, at gemgirls.com. Uh, <laughs> also, be sure to rate us and review us. It helps other people say hey girl hey to us. Uh, and by rate us and review us, wherever you find on podcasts, we need five stars, positive review. Said it once, we'll say it again multiple times. Uh, we'll say it forever. Yeah, I haven't stopped saying it. Uh, and uh, I think that is basically the end of the episode. Yeah, so until next time, stay stay outrageous. outrageous.